Attention Nashville and beyond. Are you weary of the fashions of the status quo? Are you tired of being run over by pedal taverns and bachelorettes? Now you can be the sexiest roadkill, sporting the latest fits from local oblivion. Souvenirs for natives and discerning drifters alike. Get your fix of weird Nashville with local oblivion. Use promo code POPTIMIST for 20% off your order over at localoblivion.com. Okay, and we are back again for another week, this time with Sven Erlinson. Thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure is completely mine, Taylor. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Uh, so can we start out with you just kind of giving your background, who you are and what you do? Sure, sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, I run a company called Badass Counseling. Uh, it's a counseling practice out of New York City, Manhattan, and also uh, in Connecticut, Fairfield County. And, uh, but I've had clients, I have clients around the globe uh, long before pandemic started. And basically I've been in the world of uh, high finance, business executives, CEOs, shit like that, as well as leaders in academia, politics, professional athletes, Olympians, um, artists, uh, award-winning, you know, Oscar-winning, Tony Award-winning, shit like that, um, across all fields, basically people who have it all or more than it all or are on their way to having it all, or have a whole lot, and that hole inside has gotten bigger, and they can't fucking figure it out. They have willed their way through everything in life. They've had all the success and fame that everyone else has been working hard towards, and these guys, for whatever reason, push through, but their misery has increased, and they can't figure it out. And this is the one problem in their lives they can't solve. And for whatever reason, poor judgment, whatever it might be, they come to me to help and to solve their, the equation of their life. And um, so that's what I do. And then I've written several books over the years. I used to be a pastor and uh, for many years got kicked out. I, I spent a few years living on the streets, working with the homeless uh, and living with the homeless, sleeping on concrete every night for two and a half years, gave up all my life possessions, written several books and so forth. And then, you know, I've had a presence on social media that <laughs> was absent because no one was fucking watching it, you know, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all that shit. And then about a year ago, my girlfriend kicked me in the ass. She said, hey, you need to get on this TikTok thing. And I'm like, TikTok? I don't dance. You know I don't dance. You know I suck at dancing. I like to dance, and those are always the worst ones, right? That, oh, I like to dance, but I'm no good at it. That's me. And uh, she's like, no, idiot. Listen, I'm going to download it. So we're laying in bed one night, and we're, she's watching. She's laughing her ass off. Like three hours later, it's like, Sven, I'm addicted. You've got to get on this fucking thing. So she handed me her phone. And the first thing she fucking handed me was that monkey, the little monkey uh, people send him food, and he opens a package. Oh, and he's, yeah, he's, yeah. Right? And then I guess that one died, but there's another one now. But anyway, and I'm like, oh, this is fucking cool. And I had been doing videos before, like I said, Instagram, Facebook, shit like that, uh, but more long form. I'm a long form guy, right? I'm a nonfiction writer. I'm long form. There's, you know, and, but TikTok, it's 59 seconds. They say it's a minute, but whenever it, mine hits a minute, I'm right in the middle of, have a kick ass day. And it oh, yeah. Off, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, it's really 59 seconds, at least in my head. Anyway, Putting, trying to say something substantive on a complex topic in 59 seconds with no notes day after day. 
no small feat. And but I started doing it. And uh, again, probably poor judgment on the on the behalf of the people watching TikTok, but it took off. And more and more people liked it. And so as a result, all those books that I had written that nobody used to read, they're now reading. And um, and so my my base has expanded. I you know uh, my counseling practice is out you know it's done well for years, but uh, this is a whole different thing, and it's a it's become a global influence. And um, uh, to be really honest, I'm humbled every single day, and I love my work. But uh, just trying to help people through the hardest shit in their lives, um, and where it doesn't have to take forever, and uh, really powering through, muscling through from some of the wisdom I've gained from my own life over the years and also from clients, et cetera. So that's sort of a, a little longer than you probably want to, but that's sort of the no. long and short of what I do. That's perfect. So why the name Badass Counseling? Because I feel like people hear that and they have a certain connotation. Brilliant question. Brilliant question, Taylor. Uh, that actually, it's funny because when I incorporated, um, I had been, that had been the name of my business for a couple of decades, but I just never incorporated because I didn't give a shit because my clients came to me. I didn't need to have a name. I didn't need to have a business card or any shit like that um and when i finally you know incorporated made it official and so forth uh, my girlfriend's like you're gonna call it that so nobody's gonna come to fucking counseling called badass it's like that's that's the worst thing and she's monster successful in business right she started and still runs uh her company it's an 80 million dollar company so she knows her shit but i knew that that was the name i wanted because to me you're not a fully integrated person and you'll never be happy until you are badass. And most people think, well, it's tough. You know, badass means tough. I'm tough. If we think of a badass, they're tough. The way I think of a badass is, yes, it's that, but it's really, you do what you want when you want. And that's the trick. See, most guys and a whole lot of successful women or women in general go think, they think, I'll do it. I'm tough. I'm just tough all the time. That's not a badass. That's you subscribing to societal conventions that say men have to be tough all the time. Well, that's not you being you. That's you being someone else's version of you. So technically, you're not a badass. By you being all tough all the time, you're basically saying I'm weak because it is natural to be tender. It is natural to cry. It is natural to be soft and gentle and kind. So someone who's not expressing multiple aspects of their personality, but it just always defaults to tough guy or tough broad, that's not badass. That's you being a tool. That's you being what society wants you to be or what your old man always said, oh, I don't want to hear your cry. I'll give you something to cry about. You know, you're just being what you were conditioned to be. Well, that's not toughness. That's not real inner strength. Real inner strength is that in any moment, I'm just being what I feel and I'm expressing what I feel. Now that's a badass. Someone who has the presence, the wherewithal, the courage to just be who the fuck they are, regardless of what society may say, regardless of what their what their old man may say, or their mother, or their friends, or whatever. Now that's so that yes, that was such an insightful question because it's not just oh be tough, it's that you have the courage to be who you really are. That's toughness because it's the scariest fucking thing you'll ever do in your entire fucking life. One of the things that drew me into you was. I feel like you are a positive, healthy example of masculinity in an era where that's not really celebrated. You know what I mean? Like there's a few people in our society that are I, like as far as celebrities go, I think of somebody like The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. You know, he's a positive, healthy example of of that. And as I've been listening to the Badass Counseling book, the one thing I really love about it, it feels it feels like a sermon. And I'm guessing that's because of your 
your background as a pastor. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, I really like it. Um, and just your whole thing about being uh, spiritual but not religious, there's, there's so much that I relate to. One thing in particular that I really liked is you talk about uh, brutal honesty versus uh, – Radical, radical honesty. Yeah. Can you yeah. explain a little bit about that? Yeah. Again, great question, Taylor. Um, thank you for that. And I'm, if it's okay with you, I'm going to open my window, just to let some air in while yeah, uh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Do what you got to do. It. Just yeah. a little warm in in my office today. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah. To me, brutal honesty is basically someone who says, oh, yeah, I'm just being brutally honest. The person who's brutally honest is the person, is the dickhead going through life saying, this is what's wrong with you, this is what's wrong with you, this is what's yep. wrong with you, and that's what's wrong with you. And I'm just being brutally honest, fuck off very much. And there are times for that, sure, of course, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But what's much harder, and they think they're being tough guy, they think they're being cool, they think they're being, oh, you know, I'm the smart one in the room. But the one who's really tough, the one who's really got serious courage, I mean real courage, is the one who's not saying what's wrong with you. It's the one who's saying, here's what's wrong with me. Here are my warts. Here are my fears. Here are my aspirations to reveal those to another person, to trust another person with who I really am, especially the shit that I keep hidden that I don't want people to see. Now, I'm not saying you just lay that in front of every last fucking person. Obviously, trust builds step-by-step with the person, but there are so many people who are terrified to reveal who they really are. They stay hidden behind those walls because they've been hurt in their childhood, because they've been hurt by other men or other women or whatever. And so it affects your dating life. You get into your teens, into your 20s, and I'm going to stay hidden until I meet someone who I can totally trust, and then maybe I'll show them who I really am. Because if I show you who I really are, though, you're going to leave me. I know you are, so I'm going to stay back here. And a perfectly great guy may come along and knock and say, come on, let me in, let me in, show me who you are. And you're like, no, 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 I can't. Because if he sees who I really am, he won't like me. He won't like me. And guys do it too. So this isn't just a woman thing. Yeah. He won't like me. And, and he'll leave me. And he'll leave me. And he'll knock and he'll knock and he'll knock. And eventually, if you don't open up and have radical honesty and show him who you really are, warts and all, as my mother used to say, if you don't begin to do that, eventually he'll walk away. And you've just created the very eventuality that you fear most because you wouldn't come out. Because what we bond with, what we connect with with people is the warts. I mean, think about that great movie, um, Goodwill Hunting. Remember oh, yeah, that movie, it's a, it's Robin a Williams. Yeah, classic. And the counseling scenes, and where Robin Williams is saying, you know, my, my wife, she had her picadillos, she had her problems, you know, she would fart in the middle of the night. And sometimes she'd wake up to her own farts, and, you know, I didn't have the courage to tell. It's the farts, it's the warts, but it's also uh, the pains and the fears. And it's also the aspirations that I've never told anyone because it sounds crazy. And if I ever said it, my mom would laugh at me and I'd feel so stupid to my family. All that stuff. That's radical honesty. That's the shit that takes guts. It's easy to be a dickhead and tell everyone else what's wrong with them. But radical honesty is to reveal to your, to another person, to look at it yourself, but then to reveal to another person, friend, lover, uh, whatever it might be, uh, you know, who's earned more and more of your trust, but to continue to open. And in the words of the immortal Bob Dylan, fellow Minnesotan, he not busy being born is busy dying. And to be born is to open. It's to continually open. It's to continually allow the real me out and allow myself to look at it and allow myself to express, to push it out. That's courage. Well, pain is inescapable no matter how you shake it. And I mean, in your counseling practice, you deal with it constantly. You deal with people that are at the heights of success at whatever yeah. it is that they do. 
but they have problems and issues just like anybody else, you know, and of course, if you're poor and you can't eat and stuff like that, that's a whole other set of problems. Yes. But there is a, I guess, a pain threshold that we all have, you know, it's, it's almost like there's some kind of, and again, I'm not a religious person, but there's like an intelligent design. Like, so there's like a repeated theme for problems I feel like in everybody's life, whether you overcome them or not. And I have a funny example of that. So I have this, uh, this buddy, Isaac. And if you knew Isaac, you would totally understand the story I'm about to tell you. But he recently told me this story about how someone came to his house because their house was being sold. And the person wanted to dig up their dead dog. And I don't know anybody else that this would happen to except for him. And it's not necessarily (laughs) a problem, but it seems like there are these thematic elements in every single person's life. We all have our thing that we, uh, some die that's been cast upon us. Mm. Okay. And so what's your question? So I guess my follow-up to that would be the, uh, the spiritual but religious thing. I love to talk, or not religious thing. Right. Because that was the first book you wrote. Right. And right. you had experience, you were in a couple of seminaries, right? Oh, yeah. I graduated from seminary. I was a Lutheran pastor. I'd served a couple of churches. I'd gotten thrown out of uh, the larger Lutheran denomination. I'd also gotten thrown out of a few uh, individual churches. And I was just always a square peg in a round hole. And but I really wanted to do that with my life. I aspired to do that. And uh, but uh, yeah, that came very early in my career and created a lot of problems for my career when I wrote that book. But I knew, but I knew I was onto something. And this was before that phrase even existed. That was nineteen ninety nine, right? Yeah, I started writing it actually in 1995. Okay. And that shit didn't exist. That, that no. phrase didn't. It wasn't on dating websites or it just didn't exist. It didn't fucking exist. And so, you know, somebody might accidentally say those words, you know, gee, I, I'm, I'm not into organized religion, but I'm spiritual. And they might say, well, I'm, I'm kind of spiritual, but, you know, I'm not really religious. But the notion of it as a phrase that, that was used in common parlance didn't exist. My point is this. Um, yeah, I wrote that and, uh, and nobody read it. But I knew I had something. I knew because I saw it with my five siblings and all of us, you know, we'd grown up in a good setting in religion and so forth. And our dad was pastor and four of our uncles were pastors, but um, it just didn't have the resonation that it had with previous generations. And I knew this was, this was entropy taking its course, that this was things changing very, very rapidly. And uh, so, yeah, I wrote that book and uh, nobody read it and kept writing more books and so on and so forth. But at the root of all of it, that book, as well as my most recent one, which is, you know, the bestseller and all that shit, uh, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, uh, it deals with, to your point that you brought up earlier, this notion of pain and where the pain is and what's really going on inside people and these things that repeat themselves in your experience and my experience. Um, and at the root of it is this disconnection from my own self, my own inner voice, at the root of spiritual but not religious, at the root of that massive movement that it's become in our society out of religion it's because religion no longer could uh, for a great many people no longer make sense in connecting people with their own sense of self and healing people from the wounds uh, as a result of that disconnection or in the disconnecting and um, so yeah my work is fundamentally about helping people heal from, heal from the fucking pain in their lives and uh, in the many forms uh, that it takes 
So one of your TikTok videos I saw where you said the soul is more powerful than the will. What does that mean? It means this. Uh, so if you think in terms of any of us, really, but uh, it's really exacerbated in the case of my very successful clients. Now I'm closing this fucking window. Sorry. No, you're um, good. You're good. Thanks. Uh, willpower. We, we're so taught to willpower our way through lives. We're so taught, hey, have your vision, go after it, and, don't, and be relentless. Don't ever quit and go and go and go and go and go. And people will do that. And very often, and there's nothing wrong with that on one hand. Um, but eventually, as my clients uh, realize, when they reach the pinnacle and, and bigger than their wildest dreams, they realize that, oh, shit, I'm fucking miserable. Or you know, I can't even tell you how many people I've seen uh, hit the, the very year they hit the pinnacle of their career is the very year their spouse divorces them. Don't even ask me how many times I've seen that. Um, but what happens is very often the reason we're wanting all of that success or all of that money or all of that fame or all of that recognition is because we're trying to fill a hole that was created when we're children. We're trying to fill a hole, uh, and when we're children, we're wet cement. And messages get pressed into that wet cement. And oftentimes they're explicit, but more often they're implicit. And people don't even know the messages they have about themselves. And this is what I talk about in my book, um, that they don't even know what their core beliefs really are. Most people don't. 99.9% .9 of people don't even know. And so what I help them do is expose it, because what will happen is those core beliefs, it might be something like they were taught that I don't matter. There's perhaps no more powerful message that a child can be taught, negative message that a child can be taught than I don't matter. And you know what's most fascinating about it is very often I find that in the depths of people who were taught, who claim they had a great childhood, who were taught, hey, you can do anything, the world's your oyster, you can do anything, that even though they're getting all these other positive messages, they're getting counter messages that they weren't even aware of or that they just sort of ignored. And those counter messages are what got pressed into the cement of the soul that now they're spending their adult life contorting to try to get success to finally win that parent's approval or to avoid that parent's criticism. And so all of this shit that they've built ultimately is empty inside because they weren't doing it because it's who they are. They were doing it as a living reaction to the external power sources in their life. And so when I say the soul is more powerful than the will, what I mean is that shit that's going on deep inside of you, your core beliefs, that whole, that's the shit that's down in the level of soul essence, where you really are, where the real, where the vault is of who you really are. And that, it doesn't matter how fucking successful you are, how much willpower you have. Oh, I'm a fucking tough guy. I don't know. That's bullshit. That, fuck that shit. Really? We'll see. We'll see. You're young. It'll come. And so that soul, your own soul will grind your life down such that no matter how, that more and more success just makes that contrast greater and greater between all your success on the outside and how you really feel inside. And the soul will grind you down. Why? Because it's saying, this is not who we are. And so it's trying to kill off old me so that the soul, so that we can create a life based on inside rather than those external power sources and their messages. We're going to create from the inside out and finally become actually fucking happy. Well, the macro can break your brain. You know what I mean? Like if you are concerned constantly with everything that's happening out in the world, whether it's your own personal life, career, relationships and all of those things have internal factors that are important but it's so easy to ignore that internal voice 
and chase that success. When I was in my early 20s, you know, I had kind of a rough childhood and I was always chasing this idea of success, success, success. What I came to learn as I went through my own pain was what I was really seeking the whole time was enlightenment. Because I think enlightenment, you have to go within and make peace with the rest of the world, you know, and it, it was through various means that I did it, reading, watching videos online, whatever. But you have to sit down. I found, and the other thing I really like about your book is that you give these writing prompts to go through. Like one of the ones that I really liked was uh, the five biggest irritants in your life. What are they? And what would your life be without uh, them in there? Um, and it just, things like that make me think. And I think sometimes we are in the thick of our own lives so much and in the thick of our own pain that sometimes we need that outside source to sit down um, and maybe maybe give us some gentle love, maybe give us some tough love, depending on what the situation is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, what more can I say? You said it so well. You said it well. Yeah. So one of the other books that you've written is I Steal Wives, and that's a very attention-grabbing title, yeah. just like Badass Counseling. Right. Um, what was the inspiration for that book? Well, it's funny. I, I, that's a great question. Um, my uh, vice in life was never the bottle. I never got into weed. I'd been an athlete. You know, I mean, I, I drank, but not excessively, and uh, I, I never got into gambling and shit like that. For me, my vice was um, sex. Uh, but specifically, I discovered that I was hit on a lot from a very young age, uh, you know, like late teens, uh, by unhappy married women. And I, to the point where, not that I was some fucking special thing, but that's, but they, there was that level of desperation that they'd even pick a guy like me. Um, and, uh, so, um, I didn't have to do anything and that they were desperate. And so I ended up over the course of a couple of decades, I ended up, uh, sleeping with, or having some sort of relationship with, uh, over 30, over 30, the wives of over 30 men and women, a few lesbians in there, uh, or by whatever they were. And, um, and it was the combination of that and the fact that I grew up with a mother uh, that I had um, that taught me that our relationship was such that she asked deep questions. My entire life's work is based on I have only one ability. I suck at cars, computers, stereos, building anything. I suck at anything. But I'm good at deep questions. And that's what my whole practice is based on and so forth. So I'm having these affairs with these women and me just being who I am. And plus, I knew that questions have the ability to heal. So I was also able to help them, you know, alleviate some of their pain and so forth. And but I just was Sven being spent asking all these questions. And I began to see patterns in their thinking, in their actions, in their motivations, in what was making them unhappy, and so on and so forth. And so while I wasn't deliberately stealing wives, the effect was that I had stole someone's wife, or not to say that they ever ended up with me, but that was more of a clever title, and that's how it would appear to an outside observer. But ultimately what it is, is what was the essence of the book is what is driving one of the most under-researched and under-reported phenomena 
in American culture, and that is female infidelity. You know, there'll be there'll be studies out there, or people will say, "Oh, men cheat more than women." Really? Show me the research on female infidelity. And are women more likely to underreport or overreport? A male is more likely to overreport infidelity. A female is more likely to underreport, to not admit it, because it's shameful still in our society if a woman, yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. And so anyway, I began to see patterns. It ended up being a two-volume set. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was that was the one that sort of put me on the map. That was the one that landed me the, you know, huge literary agency and sort of can you know it confirmed me as a writer to myself and uh but i didn't do in sales what you know my other book is doing but uh yeah that was a fun one to write and that was i actually wrote that while i was living on the street um working with the homeless sleeping on concrete every night for two and a half years um you know working with the homeless and counseling the homeless and shit i was writing that particular book and uh so yeah that that's that's a colorful piece of my history <laughs> what were the patterns and the themes that you saw Sure, so many. Um, I, God, and it's been over a decade since I wrote that book. Um, well over a decade. Um, well, the opening chapter, for instance, the, uh, the fundamental premise, and there are, of course, nothing in the book is absolute, all right? The, yes. the general yeah. patterns. Bigger the diamond, the more likely she'll cheat is the, is, the base, is the basic principle. And what it's based on is the notion that if a woman is wanting a big diamond, more again, it's not an absolute. If a woman is wanting a big diamond, she's wanting a big diamond more than the person. And so, what's going to happen over time? The the woman who will rarely, if ever, cheat is the woman who just has a gold band, or the woman who you know has a small diamond or whatever. You want to know why? Because she's in it for love. That's a, that's a woman far less likely to cheat. But the woman who wants the big diamond is looking for that high. Is looking is. Not always, again, it's a generalization, but it's a woman who wants the money that comes with the guy. What happens when the money fails to give me the high and I grow bored with that, or the man grows bored with the fact that she just wants the money? What happens when uh, the natural stresses and pains of life kick in, which they always do? And you realize what, we're, what largely is bonding her to me is her love of my money. And chances are if she's uh, that shallow, he probably is too. Anyway, problems are ahead. So that's one tiny example. That's sort of a, a taste, or, you know, a, a tease uh, to get you into the book. But it's true that if a woman is into you for your money, you're going to have problems. If a woman is into you, if that's a piece you, sure, but she's into you for who you are, that will often be reflected in just what type of ring. Uh, that's just a simple way of, uh, of seeing it ahead of time. Well, it's hard. I think like it, it's a miracle that relationships can even happen if you really think <laughs> about it, because it's two individuals coming together and agreeing upon like we want to go this direction in life. And yep. rarely does an individual even agree upon with themselves what direction they're going in life. Right. Right. Go ahead. I know. I bet. You okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's interesting that you bring this up. This is really a great insight. And uh, my, my understanding of relationships changed in my second marriage. You know, probably good that it did. <laughs> uh, it should change at some point if you're on your second marriage, right? No. Um, but back then, there was a big book that came out in the 80s, early 90s, whatever, uh, called Soulmates. And Thomas More was the one who wrote it. And it's very insightful and it's a very soulful book. And but that really popularized this notion of soulmates. 
And everybody used that term back then and so on and so forth. And we still use that term. And it's a good term. You know, I think we all sort of know what it means. But what I what happened in my second marriage was I changed my definition of soulmates and it forever changed my relationships subsequent to that. In my definition of soulmates, it was all the usual stuff, right? Wonderful, you know, we connect, communicate, laugh, blah, blah, blah. But I dropped the time clause. Because, and I'll explain what I mean. I It occurred to me that my brother David, from, let's say, age 10 for me, no, age 14 for me till age, I don't know, randomly 30-ish, he was my soulmate. He was one of my soulmates. I had two at one time. My first wife was my soulmate. My second wife was my soulmate for that period of time. And I realized I dropped a time clause that soulmate, we so often think of it as forever. But what if it's for that period of your life? See, the thing is, if my first, my first wife and I, we've been divorced fuck, 25 years. We get along fine. She's great, um, good person, and so forth. Um, but it, there's zero chance in hell we'd ever be compatible in a relationship now. But it had to be what it had to be then. My second wife was my soulmate for that period of time. Karen, my girlfriend now, we've been together eight years. She's my fucking soulmate. You know, and I've had uh, male, female soulmates in different aspects. But once I dropped the time clause, then I could allow the relationship to be what it is for as long as it's supposed to be. Karen and I came into this relationship. We just, I moved across country. I moved my, my business from San Francisco Bay Area to New York City because I could. My business, I can move it anywhere. And, uh, and we just said, let's put up two-week contracts. I mean, because we knew each other like a month. It's like, fuck it. We're both at a place in our life. We've both been through marriages. It's just like, we just want to enjoy life together. I want someone I can enjoy life with. And that's what she wanted. So we just said, every two weeks, we'll review it. And I could always move back. Or I could, you know, whatever. Um, or just keep living here and be apart. So every two weeks, we'd renew it. Renew it. And then it became a month. Every couple of months, then it's, a, you know, once a year. And now... We the only time we ever have a review of our relationship and gee, do we want to stay in it? Is Karen will say, Sven, you've been such a fucking asshole for the last three weeks. I think we're due for a relationship review soon, aren't we? <laughs> uh, but seriously, once we re if if you can enable yourself to take off the forever, it may last forever. But this notion that it has to last forever because gee, when I was twenty four, I made a fucking commitment fucking 24 year old making a commitment a 29 year old making a fucking commitment i'm not a, i'm not opposed to it but it's just like people you know, you're not going to discover who you are until your early 40s so what if we just committed to enjoying life together for as long as it lasts even if it uh, ends up with kids or even if it ends up in divorce and people, so many people say well if it's if there are kids you got to stay together it's in the best interest of the kids no it's not it's not if it's a bad relationship, it's not in the best interest of the kids. And you're better off breaking it sooner than later because you think, oh, when our kids go off to college, then we'll... No, you don't want your kids dealing with major fucking trauma of the two people they love the most in life divorcing when the only people they have around them are their fucking knucklehead friends who don't know shit from Shinola. Yeah. Do it now when they're still in somewhat of a loving Peer environment support. and they have family. Thank you. Thank you. And so it's like you want to get that shit out of the way soon and so forth. But rethinking this notion of relationship, that it's when we attach that time clause and, and, and a mandatory commitment, that's when it, I mean, how about if we just commit to each other for as long as we commit to each other? My second wife blew my fucking mind when we got into a relationship together. She was seven years older than me, and she was a dancer in Broadway shows, international tours of Broadway shows. And, um, and she was great. And she said to me, Sven, I have no problems with this relationship ending. It'll make me sad. We'll both be sad because we really love each other and so forth. I have no problems if you want to walk away from the relationship. All I ask is that you have the courtesy to tell me first before you walk away. 
before you get involved with somebody else. Just have the, do me the decency of telling me first. If you do that one thing, yes, I'm going to cry, but I will respect your decision. We'll hug, we'll kiss, you know, thanks for the memories and so forth. Just tell me first. And that blew my mind. I had never experienced someone saying, it's okay if the relationship ends. Radical honesty. Radical honesty. What good tie-in. Pin that one. Nailed yeah. it. Nailed it. Yeah, you know, I think relationships, so much of it, they're, I don't know if it's societal or what it is, but like now that I'm, I'm 30, I turned 30 a couple of months ago. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, I, I've lived this long. It's an achievement, I think, especially after the train wreck of my 20s. That's all right. But, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's so funny to think about because I have so many friends now who have already been like gotten married, have kids, divorced on second marriage. Some of them, second marriage already ended. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And I always wonder what that is because I feel like I've been so, I have these moments of uh, almost blind stubbornness where I just put my foot down on something, whether it's in relationships, business, life, whatever it is, where something in my gut tells me, I don't know why I'm making this stand right now, but I need to make this stand. Right. Right. You know, and I don't know where that comes from, but I feel like it's a, it's a voice that every one of us has. I've never been able to ignore it. There have been times I definitely wish I could have, but change is rarely bad when it comes from one of those moments. Oh, like, I agree. Change, the only time it's really, you could say it's bad, you know, if, if someone you love dies or they get sick or something like that, those are horrible, tragic events that every single one of us has to deal with. But it's very rarely long-term change being a bad thing. I love it. And I love that your, your notion of it coming from that, that voice inside. I absolutely believe that. And very often, we're not making our decisions from that voice inside. We're making it from the voices of other people around us. And very often, what causes the shift is when the pain of living someone else's life, what someone else wants from me, living it that way, that the pain inside gets so bad that I finally reach what I call the fuck it point where the pain has accumulated so much that I finally just wake up one morning and it's not even a thought thing. I got to think it through or what it's just fuck this. And you say, fuck it. And all of a sudden today I have the courage to do what just yesterday, just last year, for the last 20 years, I've been terrified to do when the pain gets bad enough, you reach the fucking point and you have courage, but you also have clarity. It used to be, well, I don't know if I should this. I don't know that. And when you reach that bucket point, it's not even a thought. It's not even, am I at the bucket point yet? You're, you just know. And, and you have clarity. You know exactly what you want to do. And you know exactly what you don't want to do anymore. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's funny. In, in, when we're acting from that spot and the, and the decisions that come out of it, my girlfriend, she says something interesting. And this sort of ties in what we were talking a bit ago about relationships and so forth. Um, she says, you know, Sven, I, she grew up in the Bronx in the 60s and 70s so she's pretty hard that's a different time yeah oh yeah let me yeah, tell you but she ended yeah. up she ended up going on to build an 80 million dollar company that she's been president and primary shareholder of since day one and uh 2500 employees globally at its peak and i guarantee you any woman in your life look in her closet and she has clothes that were made by my girlfriend's company and uh, designed and made by anyway my point is this um she says, you know, Sven, growing up, my parents were together forever, and my dream was to have that man that I'd be with forever. That was my dream, and so on and so forth. And she said, but I haven't had it. I've had a series of long relationships, several of them. And I realize, and there's always been some regret and disappointment over that. She said, but now, Sven, as I'm in middle age, she says, I'm so glad 
that I never had that. And I'm like, wow, why is that? She said, because I would have missed out on these amazing men that I've been with who have taught me so much, her words, who have taught me so much. Her last major boyfriend before me, the guy was a professor at a fucking Ivy League school. Great guy. Or the one before that, the father of uh, you know her children, uh, he spends fucking Christmas with us. And he'll stay with us a couple months in the summer. He's French-Canadian. Good guy. I love him to death. And, you know, and I'm in my 50s. It's like, it's not the intimidation and jealousy shit that it would have been. You know, we all trust each other and so forth. And uh, it's not polyamory or anything like that. It's just, I love the guy. You know, he's a good dude. And so my point is, is she's grateful that her life didn't take the path that she thought she wanted when she was young. That instead, she followed that very inner voice you're referring to, and it led her on a completely different path. And she lived life with an open hand. She knew what she wanted but she didn't hold it tightly. There's a rock group from the late seventies called 38 special. And they sing, oh, yeah. hold on loosely. Yeah. And that, and Don't that's, let go. that's it. And so want it, but also allow room for life to send twists and turns. Just act as long as you're acting from your center, life is going to take you to better things than you imagine, but you have to be willing to let go of it being exactly the way you fucking imagined it. And that's sort of a testament of, uh, you know, Karen's, her relationship story is just one testament to that, that it's even better. She just could have never believed that she would have preferred it. And in retrospect, she's glad she had the relationship life she had rather than the one she thought she wanted. And that's some fucking mind-blowing shit to me. Well, I think with romantic love, like everyone always talks about it being this unconditional thing. And mm -hmm. I feel differently. I feel like romantic love should be conditional and it should come with stipulations of a person that you're in a relationship with showing up. You yeah. know, I, I think to a certain degree, romantic love is like getting a fistful of sand on the beach. You pick it up and it can fall through your fingers, but you're on a beach. You can pick up another handful of sand. You well, know what sand. I mean? Well said. You know, it's funny you say that about unconditional love. I did a TikTok way back in the beginning, a year ago, uh, when I was first getting on TikTok on unconditional love. And uh, I, I, what I do to sort of piggyback on your thought there is I draw a distinction. So my, my children, do I feel unconditional love for my children? Absolutely. And they're adults. You know, my son's 30, my daughter's 27. And they're adults. And do I feel, is, is that, is my, the feeling of unconditional love for them unflinching? Yeah. I couldn't make it go away. I just do. But if my son starts uh, selling drugs to, you know, 12 year old children in the fucking playground and ends up in jail, do I feel unconditional love for my son? Yes. Am I going to fucking give him all hugs and kisses and so good to see you in your jail cell? No. It's like, dude, you fucking harm people. What the fuck are you doing? I love you. There's no doubt I love you. But no, I'm not going to treat you the same way I would treat you if you hadn't done this and you were coming over for a fucking Thanksgiving dinner. And we're all laughing and joking and, and you know, hurling epithets at the TV, at the you know Green Bay Packers or whatever it might be. Um, it's, it's not. So this notion in relationships that people have to show up, I still love you. And that was, you know, my first wife divorced me, but my second wife, I divorced her. And I loved her. I adored her. It was just that there were certain things, you know, I don't want, I don't start fights. That was one thing I learned about myself in relation. I'm, I make them worse. That's my sin. I make them worse. But I don't start fights. I'm able to talk shit out without it. And I'm able to deescalate myself. 
And so what I realized in that relationship was I loved her, but I didn't like that we were having three yelling fights a week or whatever the average was. And she's like, I love you, but this is not okay. I don't want this in my life. So I love the person. I just, the chemi- it just didn't work anymore. And so that's the notion of the feelings were unconditional. I loved her to death, but in the end, because of the other stuff, um, no, there are conditions. Just don't be an asshole. Or, you know, after um, uh, my first wife, it's like, I just want somebody who will apologize and mean it. I just want somebody who will forgive and mean it. And so we learn from these fucking relationships. And yeah, it is conditional. I'm not going to stay in any sort of relationship, any sort, friendship, anything, with somebody who doesn't apologize for their shit. Fuck that. Why would I want that in my life? Well, so, go ahead. Uh, sorry, sorry. I don't, no, I don't no, mean no, to please. you off. I was done. I was actually done. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, one thing I really like that, that to, to piggyback back off of that, that you've talked about is um, the bullseye. I, I heard an interview with you where you were talking about, I, I don't know, it was just like relationships, trust, yeah. all of that stuff, that it's basically a bullseye. And yeah. you have like, there's certain levels to it. There's yeah. acquaintances, there's friends, extended family. Yeah. And then there's like the people that you're in a relationship with, yeah. you're, you're, you're getting closer on this target. You're getting those outer rings are, you know, Stephanie, my girl who works at my liquor store that I say, Hey, how are you, Stephanie? And she's just an acquaintance. And then, but I, you know, she's great. And then there's, you know, like loose friends. And then there's a little bit better friends and there's tight friends that were extended family. And then as you get closer towards the bullseye, there's my very closest friends and my siblings that I'm close to. Then on the bullseye, there's like my two kids, uh, my soon to be daughter-in-law, there's my mom. She just passed away a couple months ago. My dad was there too. Oh, thank you very much. But she was 93, so we saw it coming. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, my, just my, the most intimate of the most intimate. And then on the double bullseye in the very center, it's just me. Yes. And the thing is, the thing is, when we're young, we're not allowed to say no to someone being on our bullseye. You know, people come and go into and out of, and mom and dad just naturally think, well, I get to be on your bullseye. Well, what if mom's an asshole over the years and you want to bump her out like three fucking rings, but it's like my mom and she'll bitch and blah, blah, blah. Or friends. I had a family member uh, a couple years ago um, not apologize. I, we had a bit of a, a tete-a-tete and I apologized for my share and she didn't apologize for her share. And I'm like, I still love you, but boom. And so in our interactions, I wasn't rude or Kurt with her, I just didn't give her attention because I'm not going to invest in someone who won't own their shit because what you're fundamentally saying is, I'll take your apologies, Sven, but I'm going to protect myself. I'm not going to apologize anything, so I will protect myself at the expense of you. I will protect myself and my interests, and I'll keep myself guarded and not own my shit at the expense of our relationship. In other words, you're willing to let me, you're willing to point the finger at me and make me the bad guy, but I'm not willing, you're not willing to own your own shit. Well, tell me, why the fuck would I want a relationship with any person, even a family member? Why would I want a relationship with a family member who is willing to protect themselves at the expense of me, who's willing to sacrifice a relationship? Because it doesn't help a relationship long term if two people aren't owning their shit. Why would I want to be in a relationship with that person? I don't. So I just like, boom, and I just started treating her differently. Again, I wasn't rude or mean. Didn't call for that. I just didn't give her attention. And about a month later, I got an email. One word. Sorry. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, see, like, I guess that says it all well it does say it all it says so many things one she thought she was going to be able to steamroll me and it's like nah, that's not how it works and but also that was all she could burp out was one sorry she knew she had to play ball 
And, and so I, I took it for what it was. I let her have that one. And I, you know, I don't invest as much as I did before, but I moved her in half a rank. But, but it's, it's controlling your own life and who you allow closer. And, but that requires asking yourself, what are my values to get on the next ring in? What are my values to get two rings in or to have someone on the, you know, on the inner circle or in the bullseye with me? What are my values that I want for me? Because it's my life. It's my life. And if you aren't controlling who is on the different rings of your target, then people are all over and you're not honoring your own self. You're letting other people be where they want to be in your life rather than owning it. It's hard to own it because you're going to fucking hurt people or they're going to act hurt or you're going to offend them or they're not going to get what they want. And so you're going to feel like a shit or whatever. But it's like, fuck, it's either that or not be happy because you're not going to be happy if you have, you know, an asshole on your inner ring or in your inner three, whatever. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the reverse is also true. Like I think the, the best relationships in my life, whether friendships, dating, whatever, so they start out on that outer ring, like Stephanie from the liquor store, and then they slowly yes. move in, and you well build said. that trust with them well over time. Well said. That's right. That's right. And and that's why you know I uh, uh, I'm very much an, an an advocate of you know taking your time. I wasn't when I was 22. Fucking, I got met a girl when I was 22. Three months later to the day we got married, I was 23. I had my birthday. Three months later to the day, January 12th, um, we uh, discovered we were pregnant. And uh, we had gotten pregnant after the wedding, just for the record. Um, <laughs> but the point is, it's just like, and everybody was saying, slow down. And I'm like, fuck that, fuck that. And she's like, fuck that, fuck that. And now I'm the one that says, uh, you don't have to slow down if you don't want to. You want to go fast, go fast, fuck it. Um, but it might behoove you to just take your time. Because the truth is, we so want it right now. And the fear, there's some fear in there that if we don't rush it and make it happen right now, it won't happen. Well, shit, if it won't be there tomorrow, then... It's probably not the good relationship, but when we're young, we don't always think that fucking, you know, calmly. And, uh, and it's hard to do, and so we rush life. And so we rush someone from out here right into the, here on the target, you know, a, in relationships. And it's just like you haven't had time to read their character or just feel how it feels. And, and does it, it does it resonate with who I am in a good way over time. Well, I think too when you're you're young, um, and I still am young. Don't get me wrong, but like, no, you are. Yeah, like, I really wasn't able to start drawing. You don't have any experiences to draw from. Yes. You know, you don't have any fuck ups yes. to draw from until you're yes. 25, 26. Yes. You know, at least as a dude, like women yep. mature a little bit faster, but dudes are dumb when they're young. They don't know anything. Well, yeah, I, th I think we all are. You know, that's, but yes, you're right. We don't have the experiences. We've got theories. We've got what we've been told. And, you know, some degree, you got to run with it. But yeah, we just get, potentially, we get wiser as we age from the pains and the and failures and the fuck ups and the fall downs of life. And if we reflect on them and not just have, you know, have the experience, but actually find the wisdom inside of them, then yeah, we become smarter and we become wiser. That's why oftentimes relationships that start later that or that aren't rushed. They're just going to last longer. So if you really want your relationship to last longer, fucking take your time. Because you may think you know, but it's just like, why are all the old fucking people telling me to slow down? Is it because they're calling you stupid? No, because they're trying to help you get your fucking happiness. And that doesn't mean to listen to every old person. Fuck that shit. But there is, you know, because I'm dumb as shit and people still listen to me. So what does that say? Um, but no, but because there is wisdom in, in taking your time. 
And if you're rushing shit, you're doing it from a place of anxiety. And a uh, place of anxiety is never a good place to make a decision from. And it's usually not the authentic you, the, the real you. Like you were talking about before, those decisions you made that came from that voice within, that voice within, it carries with it a state of calm. The right decisions, the ones that are real you, come from a place of calm. The ones that aren't you or you're not sure are come from a place of anxiety or uncertainty. If it comes from calm, it's you. If it comes from anxiety, it's some other external force saying you should or some other external force pushing you or what have you. But it comes from that state of calm. Well, it's in those moments, it was like you were saying, the, the, the fuck it point. I feel like the those the state of calm comes from the fuck it point. You know what I mean? And, the, and the, the clarity of being able to sit there and be like, I can just think in my own life and my own career, whether it was a breakup, whatever it was. And I'll also say this, rarely are breakups ever bad. Because when you go through a breakup, that's the time that you really learn the shit about yourself. Really? You no. Know? Brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go, keep going. Keep going. Yeah. So it, it's because like in, in when you're in an intimate relationship with someone, Mm-hmm. There is no avoiding your issues, your problems. Mm-hmm. They're right on front street. If you want to find out who you are, or how other people see you, the best way to do it is to, to start getting, having sex with someone. You know, I, I mean, right. I feel like that's the, the quickest way to find out what your problems are in life. That, that's right. the way I always discovered it, where I was like, fuck, I didn't even know this about me. Right, right. And, and of course, then, you know, having sex uh too soon often then creates problems for the relationship but yes separate issue but and 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 i like what you say about that that and it's not even just the sex and i know you're not saying it's just the sex i know that uh that's a piece of it but being in close quarters even if you're not living together being in relationship uh with other humans living in a city or friendships but especially the more intimate the relationship the further it is on in on that target the more likely, to your point, this is your point, you know, those problems reveal themselves. But for something to be gained from those problems, you have to reflect on them. You have to do the work. So you're having these painful experiences with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with your husband, with your wife. If you're having the painful experience, but are you reflecting on them or are you just having the experience? Uh, The great poet T.S. Eliot uh, in the series, The Dry Salvages, the poems, The Dry Salvages, writes, and I paraphrase, and this is a a loose paraphrase, but this is the fundamental point. The grand mistake of life is to have the experiences but miss the meanings. So it's to have those interactions. It's not enough to just have those interactions and see the problems in me, but what's the meaning? What do I do? Okay, I see the problem. So then what do I, what does that mean? What do I do with it? Do I actually dive into that and say, and ask it, well, what is it? What else does this say about me? Where did this come from? How long have I have been doing this? What is the real fear driving my behavior? So digging into it, digging into it, going further into that dark forest to find those gems of wisdom, to find the cascading waterfalls of insight. Inside every pile of shit, there's a fucking diamond. There's a fucking emerald in there of wisdom. But you have to go into the very pain that most people tell you you should be running from. Inside that pain, inside those problems that become visible on Front Street in your relationships, inside of them is great wisdom about life and about self. And the really powerful shit is what it's teaching me about me. But especially as guys, 
but you know, as a culture, we're not socialized to look inside of our problems or to ask pain what it's sent to teach us and so forth. We're not socialized to do that. And that's why, you know, when I hear somebody at 30 and, you know, I mean, you're, you've aged, but you're still young enough. You got a lot of life ahead of you um, to hear you talking like that. That's really fucking exciting. It's encouraging to know that there are young guys thinking in those terms and looking at their lives and saying, okay, what is this fucking saying about me? And that doesn't mean I'm going to own all of the problems in this relationship. I'm surely going to own my own, but even more importantly, setting the relationship aside, I'm using this as, then this is your point, using the relationship as a jumping off point to understand myself better. Uh, and that's, yeah. that's where the gold is. Hey, you know what? I would love to talk to you all day. I know. <laughs> Will you come back on for a part two sometime? I, I'd love to. Yes. Great yeah. questions, man. Thank love you. Um, yeah. Uh, where can people find you at? Fair enough. Uh, the easiest way uh, is TikTok. Uh, I, all my posts go up there first. Uh, badass counseling on TikTok. Otherwise, then a few days later or a week later, they'll go up on Instagram at uh, also badass counseling. Uh, and my assistant uh, gets all my stuff up on YouTube as well. That's the, the other place it goes. So those are the three main places. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook if you like, but TikTok is sort of where it all happens first. Um, also, you can go to my website, badasscounseling.com. Uh, my latest book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, which has uh, become a bestseller over this last year. Uh, Fantastic right? book, by the way. Uh, you, oh, you've read it. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's it's nice to know that it's helping people. It, it warms my soul. And uh, it's it's neat. It's neat to see people's lives change. And and it's, it's you know, I had a woman comment uh, on, uh, I think it was TikTok, just in the last week or two. She said, Sven, when I listen to your TikToks or I read your book, it's like getting a big bear hug while I'm getting punched in the face. It's like, I love you and I hate you at the same time. And uh, you have surgical precision and it cuts deep, but I know it's good for me. Radical um, honesty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and trying to help and doing what I can. Anyway, there's that book and all of that, that t-shirts, the swag, all that shit, but also the courses, uh, DIY, you know, video courses based on the book for people who prefer that to reading the book or that you can do them in conjunction together. Um, where I'm teaching and you can read the book at the same time. All that shit's available at badasscounseling.com. I've got some articles there, uh, one particular popular one on emotional incest, and that's free. You can just go to the articles page on the website, all sorts of stuff. But it's badass counseling mainly, and um, and this has been a real pleasure for me, Taylor. I really appreciate it. And okay. I appreciate what you're doing uh, in, you know, hitting the young audience and talking to young people and and really reframing the questions that we're asking as as a culture and how we're thinking about life how we're thinking about self how we're thinking about relationships you're taking it to that generation in a way that i can't because i'm a fucking old dude man and so i really i really applaud you and what you're doing man it's a relevant voice you a relevant not irrelevant a relevant voice uh to the younger generations and i respect the hell out of you for it man i mean that Hey, thank you. You know, I had the opportunity to fuck up a lot, so that always helps. <laughs> I tell you, it does, right? It sort of bleeds off some of that fear of failure. Now I got yeah. that out of the way. Now let's just go do what I want to do here. Let's have some fun, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Great day. 